And so that's why we're here. We're um, back in our study with uh, Truth Matters. Uh, we're looking at Matthew 10 today. And in our study of Truth Matters, the, the reason why we're addressing this is because there's so much untruth. There's so much false testimony and false witness and deception. And, and, and we need to be on our toes. But we're, we're so in a good way, desperate, right? That everybody is going to go home. Everybody's going to go to heaven. I mean, uh, that's what we want for ourselves. That's what we want for our, our family, our loved ones, our neighbors, our, our you know, people we work with, our community, our enemies. Uh, we, we, we want everybody to um, receive that, 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 that free gift and enjoy the richness of mercy. And so in our zeal, in our, in our earnest desires that we would all uh, get there, uh, sometimes we get on the wrong path. We, we want to soft sell it. Well, today we're looking at, it kind of revolves around, center, centers around a, a, a marketing campaign that's going on right now. Uh, and it's massive. It, it's the biggest you know, Christian marketing campaign that the earth has ever seen it. And it's called He Gets Us. It's a, a series of commercials and they launched on Super Bowl Sunday. Now, some of you may not know this, but Super Bowl Sunday is, is not just the Super Bowl of football, but it's the Super Bowl of commercials. And, and so if you really want to make an impact, you run an ad on on, on Super Bowl Sunday. And the reason why is because uh, that gets the most viewership. It has the most eyeballs. You've got young, you've got old, you've got male, you've got female. Uh, there's people who just watch the Super Bowl for the halftime show and the commercials. Uh, they have, you know, Super Bowl parties to watch commercials. Well, this past Super Bowl, uh, they spent $20 million on one 60-second commercial. And it was the launching point of He Gets Us. And there's about 15 of these uh, types of commercials. And uh, so far in this uh, first year of their campaign, they're looking to spend a total of $100 million. So, so this is massive. Uh, you, you see this a lot, especially on your you know, sports channel. So maybe you, you know, that's why I tend to see it a lot. Uh, it's also popping up on a lot of the, the YouTube feeds. And, and, the, and, and so the, the goal is to reintroduce Jesus to, to a younger demographic. And the way they do this is they combine present day social movements. Again, goes right back to that social justice warrior hat. Goes back to the progressive Christianity umbrella. Okay, and so they, they combine present-day social movements with the teachings of Jesus. And, and so they're, they're blending the, this in. And, and believe me, it is, um, it, it is done very well. Um, they're black and white. They have this gritty kind of edginess to them. Uh, they're, they've got, you know, top-notch music. You know, a lot of times it's um, music that you're very familiar with. Uh, you know, so right away you're kind of vibing with the music. You're vibing with the look of it. Um, <clears throat> they're very high production value. So these aren't like your normal 
cheesy kind of Christian, you know, ads. No, these are uh, top notch. Again, a hundred million dollars. They're clever. They're really clever in their marketing scheme. They they use double meanings in their taglines and they twist phrases. And one of the things that they love to do is they, they love to show like here's a photo and then there's a voice overlay of the photo that really contradicts the photo. And then at the very end, you kind of have a wrap up tagline that contradicts both that photo and the verbal, creating a whole new message in and of itself. And so as you're sitting there, you will identify with one of the three pieces, right? You're going to identify. That's the whole and, and what they're trying to do is like put it all in this bag and then wrap it up with this very clever closing. And, you know, and, you know, Jesus gets us. He's right with us in our pain, our suffering. And it's very clever. Now, you know, who, who's putting this on? Well, it's not from the church. Uh, so there's no biblical doctrine. That's not from pastors. So there's no biblical doctrine. It's not from seminaries, so there's no, you know, theology or biblical doctrine. It's, it's, you know, from well-intentioned people who have a lot of money and have a, a marketing strategy. I want to read from, uh, for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. This is Paul. To preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross should not be made void. For the word of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So right away we know this, that the word of the cross, the true biblical word of the cross, will sound foolishness to an unbeliever. By definition, don't be surprised. So, don't worry about coming and trying to be clever in your speech. Just keep preaching God's word. Keep preaching it. It has the power of God to save. Verse 18. For the word of the cross to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Uh, in, in the Greek, it, it, has, it has empty power. What, what a great phrase, right? It has empty power. This cleverness is empty. It has no power. Well, we know the word of God has power because it's from God. Verse 20, where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's, where's the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish, made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews asked for signs, Greek search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Gentiles foolishness. So when we start with this concept of he gets us, Jesus gets us. Well, right here is Jesus revealing a clear understanding that he really does get us, but it doesn't come from a political point of view. 
It doesn't come from a social justice word come of you. It comes from the reality that the true word of the cross is going to sound like nonsense to the fool. That's what makes him a fool in the first place. And we also know that, that the wisdom of, of God is what has power. It's what's true. And that's what we need to continue to stay and preach on because it is what we know is the actual truth. We can be self-deceived. So, for instance, if, if I don't want to follow God, if I don't want to believe in something, well, then I start with the, with, with the false presupposition. So, look, God can't create the earth. I can't have God creating the earth because if God created the earth, then he owns the earth. If God owns the earth, then he sets the rules. If God sets the rules, then I have to follow those rules. If I don't follow the rules, then I go to heaven. If I do follow the rules, then I got to play by God's rules. I don't want any of that, right? So I've got to change the beginning. So, so to the so-called wise person, create anything you can conceptually think of other than the creator of the universe being God. And, and there they go, and they're off and running. And, and they'll come up with any kind of scheme, any, pull science, pull psychology, pull philosophy, pull astronomy, any weird, tiny little concept they possibly can. And then they are off and running with it. Well, this messaging of, of he gets us, they're, they're not really preaching the gospel. What they're actually doing by definition is they're trying to be eloquent and clever in speech. That should right away be a, a, a warning sign to us. Now, we should be asking the question, I mean, is this, like, is this a good way to evangelize? I mean, I'm, I just being, you know, uh, you know, hyper-conservative here, and it's like, hey, this is the modern method. We have commercials, TV. Um, w w why not? Well, is, is this the way? Should be a question of ours. And then if this is the way, is this the message that should be communicated? Wh where's the gospel in this? I mean, what is the point of he gets us in the first place? And, and is it sending the wrong message? Now, one of the things we have to be very careful about, especially in our conservatism, which is not a, a, a bad thing, being conservative to the scriptures is uh, the antithesis of being liberal. Well, I don't want to be liberal. I don't want to be progressive with the word of God. But part of the thing that we have to be careful about is, well, look, do we care about evangelism? I mean, do we care about getting the word out to the lost? Uh, I, I sure hope so. I, I sure hope that's a driving passion for us too, that, that we want to seek and save the lost. And, and so while we're being somewhat critical of the commercial, um, we're critical of the message, the wrong message, not the, the attempt. And we're mindful that, look, there's only one way to the Father. So, so if you start sending people on the wrong path, I mean, that's dangerous. I, I'm, I'm always surprised I'll, I'll hear this Christian song, you know, and, and it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's a pretty good little song. And, you know, you start listening to it and you realize most Christian songs are sung by multiple artists. And I kind of always like to do the, you know, you, you know 
you're, you're used to like a female singing the song and then a male sings it, you know, and it's kind of got that just because of the, the, the voice, it's a little bit different. But one of the things that pops into my, my cue when I'm doing that is uh, the Mormons and they're singing that song. And it makes me think, you know, um, if all I know about this song is that it's good enough for the Mormons too, maybe there's something in this song that I, I need to be more aware of, right? Because all paths do not lead to the same place. And, and I know the Mormon path does not lead to the Lord God Almighty. Uh, John 8, 19 says, look, if you don't really have the right Jesus, then you don't know the Father. The, the reverse is true. If you know the Father, then you know the Son. But if you get the Son wrong, then you got the wrong Father, which means you have the wrong religion. So we have to be, we have to be diligent and critical. Not, not critical, just exploratory, examining, just like the Bereans did in Acts, to test, to see if it is so. And so we're not being too critical by asking, well, what does the Bible say with this messaging? We're not being too strict. Uh, we're not being too harsh. But look, we have to fight for exclusivity. Uh, the, the Bible is exclusive. It's not polytheistic. It's not any, any God goes. It's not any religion goes. It's not interdenominational, meaning... <laughs> denominations don't matter they're all in the same bag no that that that's again that's misleading there is a blueprint there is a model there are do's and don'ts there's a a biblical message that we want to follow <coughs> so today we're going to see five ways that, that we can see that jesus really does get us and that jesus does have a a model and a blueprint for, for biblical evangelism. The first way is Jesus calls and equips. Jesus calls and equips. The second one is Jesus gives special instructions. Jesus gives special instructions. The third one is Jesus explains that there's suffering involved. Jesus explains that there's suffering involved. The fourth one is Jesus requires fear. Jesus requires fear. And then finally, Jesus outlines trouble. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble. Well, again, a little background starting in Matthew 28. A couple weeks ago, we had uh, Trevor Amack, and he was preaching on Matthew 28 and the Great Commission to, to what? Matthew 28, 19, to go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And so this is like one of the basic blueprints and models for us for evangelism, that when we talk about evangelism, if you don't have discipleship as a key component, well, then it's not evangelism. By definition, that's what evangelism includes. So, you know, I'm from Los Angeles and, you know, we have this, uh, these, uh, these neat little groups called, you know, gangs. And they like to, to, you know, shoot at each other. 
and they're such you know brave souls that they do these things called drive-bys right so you know they just drive by in a car and randomly you know pull out their guns and start shooting at a house as they're driving by they call it a drive-by well we don't want to do evangelism like that it's just a drive-by right just kind of throw out some verses just spew out some isms well that's what commercials remind me of you know usually have you know 30 seconds maybe 60 seconds and, and you're just like throwing out these things that's not discipleship discipleship is is getting involved in life life on life one-on-one o- older woman this discipling teaching instructing a younger woman older men same thing with the younger man so we're called matthew 18 to make disciples this is a personal thing you do this in person not through a book, not through a podcast. You do this in person. You're also supposed to teach. So the instruction, the instruction part, the teaching part is part of the discipleship, is part of the evangelism. Why do you have to teach? Because you have to explain. You have to walk people through the Word of God, the Bible. It's, it's a big book. There's a lot here. There's a lot of instructions. There's a lot of guidelines. There's a lot of principles. We need to walk through those. We need to teach. We need to instruct. We need to exhort. We need to explain. Right? So teaching is involved in this process. And part of the teaching is to observe, that is, to do the commands of God. Not just to read it and go, well, that's an... That's a really neat philosophy to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's beautiful. I mean, I don't have to do it. I mean, forgiveness sounds so neat for you, but I'm not going to do it. No, we teach the principle and, and teach also to observe, to obey, to do it. Now, now that's evangelism. And so in a message, if you're messaging in the message that you're, your teaching doesn't include, um, you know, you're going to have to follow the commands of Jesus. Well, you're leaving something out. You're, you're living, leaving a big piece of what being a follower of Jesus Christ means. And so one of the things that we can see when we studied the life of Jesus, we didn't see Jesus coming to the earth to bring social justice we, we didn't see him doing protests. We didn't see him starting a social justice revolution the, the way we're like seeing it prescribed today in the world and, and in the Christian church as part of the progressive Christian movement. That's not the model. So what's the model? Well, the first thing we want to look at is Jesus is the one who calls and equips. So back to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, we see here is an example of when Jesus actually sent out the 12 disciples. This was like a, a, a little pre-Jesus leaving, a little pre-missionary, uh, little little pre-the uh, disciples actually being in, in full service. So this is what Jesus does. He's the one who calls and equips them. And having summoned his 12 disciples, he, Jesus, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out 
and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, uh, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax gatherer, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. And so, these are the people that Jesus called. There were 12 disciples that Jesus called. Not everybody. These 12. We see this today. There's certain people that are actually called to be missionaries in India. Called to be a pastor. Called. Right? And this is something that, that, that God puts on people. Now, we're, we all have a role and responsibility in evangelism, but there's certain ones that are, are called with this, this office or the spiritual gift. And so we see here that it's Jesus who does the calling. And with his 12 disciples, uniquely with these 12 disciples, he actually empowered them and gave them this authority over unclean spirits. Now, they don't have the authority. Jesus has the authority. And their authority comes from the power of Jesus. And so they had this, this authority to cast out demons, to perform miraculous healings. Uh, I mean, th this was, a, in a practical way, a, a, a way to go into a town and, and, and show who is the real true God, right? God casting out demons. He's more powerful than demons. And then also serving the community by healing sickness and disease. Diseases. And so there's a practical application that when we think of, of, of evangelism, we think of going out into a community and reaching the lost. Well, it's okay. And, and part of the evangelism, yes, there's teaching. Yes, there's discipleship. But there's also this universal application of of the mercy mission, right? You, you go in and, and, and you serve the widow, orphan, poor. You go into a village and, and you help them in any way you can. If they don't know how to get water, teach them how, how to get water into their village. That's practical. That's helpful. If, if, if the village doesn't have medicine and, and, and doesn't have doctors, being able to go into that community and we see doctors and dentists and optometrists that, that go into communities and, and serve with mercy missions. Uh, I used to go down to Mexico and work with this organization called Hands of Mercy. A and I learned a valuable lesson. <clears throat> we would go down and build these bunk houses, which are really just, you know, garden sheds. We, in providing that, the housing for the people of Mexico, that was, that was just a starting point for the discipleship and teaching. Because then the pastor of the community was then left in the aftermath of, hey, look at what people who love Jesus do. We provided you with a, a, a real life necessity, a home. Why did they do that? And they went back to America. They didn't even speak Spanish. Let me explain to you why they did that. And so we, we saw just a great compliment of how both of those things go together. But again, it wasn't, it wasn't just a drive-by. If all we did was drive-by, build a house, and leave, no message, then we would have just been surprising, you know, like, you know, welfare support. And they would think, well, when, when is the magic, you know, house-building people going to come back? Because, yes, they would want that. 
uh, you know, everybody likes sugar, right? Everybody likes dessert. Everybody likes a free handout. So again, we got to be very, very careful how we do our mercy mission. And so I think an easy way to to understand and, and to check that is, do we see discipleship and teaching in correspondence with that? Um, these were just 12 ordinary people, by the way. Yes, they were called by, by God and given special authority. But these were normal people, tax gatherers, um, Fisherman, Judas was a, a, a thief. We had a, a zealot, a politician. And so the, these were normal people, normal people in the process. So you don't have to be a, a, an actor or a sports star, right, to like preach the gospel. That's one of the other things that we kind of, you know, think now as well. That's, that's somebody else's, I mean, you know, like the pastor, only the pastor can like, you know, disciple people. You know, only the pastor can can tell people about Jesus. No. Normal people are called to evangelize. I was encouraged by his first second Peter 2, uh, 1 through 10 that ex- explained how, you know, Jesus knows how to rescue people. Jesus knows how. He 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 actually, you know, we're we're talking about this theme of he gets us. Uh Jesus gets it. Okay, he he he's been around the block for, you know, a few millennium here okay he, he he knows how to heal people in second P- peter 2 1 but false prophets also rose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies see again false teaching it, it comes in secret heresy comes deceptively that's why we we, we have to be on alert even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. It's funny how a lot of these false messages and a lot of these campaigns and a lot of these big churches and big, you know, superstar preachers. It's funny how money coincides with this. Nothing new. Uh, greed and false words, their judgment from along is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, preacher of the righteous with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, destruction by reducing them to ashes and having them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that the righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from temptation and keep the unrighteous under punishment from the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh and in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. And so we see that, look, the Lord knows how to rescue us. The Lord knows how to rescue people who are in sin. 
And, and here we are at times tap dancing around the truth. You don't usually hear Second Peter 2. And the reason why is uh, there's a lot of like punishment and sin and hell and condemnation. And wow, that's uh, let's keep that one under wraps. We don't want to tell people that there's a hell and there's condemnation and, you know, and that's where sinners go. Right. That's not like in the a one blueprint of evangelism. But it is in God's book. Why? Because God is trying to help people escape that. It's like having somebody, you know, running down the road, you know, with the warning bell, ringing the warning bell. Warning, 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 death is coming. And he was, oh, what, what, what's coming? Can't tell you. Just follow me and you'll have heaven. Just follow me and you'll be rewarded. Yeah, but I, I need to know what, what's coming. Is, is a hurricane, is an earthquake? Tell, just be honest. Tell me the truth. Um, Jesus is the one who calls. We, we can be honest. He'll equip us. He knows how to rescue. Well, <clears throat> Back to kind of this, um, he gets this commercial because you guys haven't seen it. And, you know, and I kind of mentioned a couple different things. But one of the commercials is, uh, you know, Jesus is portrayed as the rebel. He's the rebel. That's the title of the commercial. And, you know, they show tatted up gangsters, you know, guys, you know, you know, they're clearly gang mem- gang members in the hoods. And, the you know, the, the voiceovers, you know. Community leaders feared him. Religious leaders abhorred them. You know, so they're showing gangbangers, but talking about Jesus and the disciples. See, see the, the twist on there? So then your end conclusion is, well, if Jesus is okay, and if he was misunderstood, then gangbangers are okay, and gangbangers are misunderstood too. Why? Because at the end of the day, well, Jesus was a rebel just like them. Huh. That's interesting. But what Jesus was really doing was spreading love. Ooh, how powerful. They had it all. The Pharisees had it all wrong. The Pharisees thought Jesus was like a gangbanger hoodlum. But, but see, they're drawing a moral equivalence that then at the end of the picture is, yeah, Jesus wasn't a rebel. Yeah, Jesus was falsely accused. And so I guess all these gangbangers and and they're falsely accused too. Um, That's kind of that idea that that pulls you in. And so right away you think when it says he gets us, well, who's the us? See, you think it's you. Jesus gets Christians. Jesus gets, gets repentant people who have repentant hearts. Or is it that Jesus gets gangbangers who don't turn to Jesus and don't bow the knee before the throne and don't serve him? Well, who's the us? We never know. What we do see, though, is this idea and this concept, which is very, very dangerous, which is Jesus identifying with us. It's very subtle. Jesus doesn't identify with us. We identify with him. Now, now that's a big twist. We follow him. He doesn't follow us. See, Jesus is not like you. He was like you in that he was in the flesh. That's it. He's not like you. He he doesn't succumb to temptation. He doesn't sin. He is the son of the living God. Jesus is not one of us. 
This is why we bow the knee before him and we follow him. Jesus is not like just another good social justice warrior walking the streets. And so they connect these current themes of, of rebellion. Um, one of my other favorite ones was Jesus was a refugee. Right? And they'll show a bunch of pictures of homeless people. You know, and they're trying to tie in the idea that, well, you know, that's why Jesus was born in a manger. Because Mary and Joseph were homeless. That's not why he was born in a manger. Mary and Joseph were not homeless. Well, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but Jesus doesn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. No, he was not homeless. He had a home. In fact, he returned to the ho his home. So the equivalence then is that Jesus is like a homeless guy. Um, and they try to draw a message from that so that you're supposed to th think then, I guess all homeless people are really just rolling around preaching the gospel. Um, you know, they'll use things, you know, like influencer, right? That's a big deal now in social media. You know, the kids, everybody wants to be an influencer. Everybody followed him, you know, and he was standing up for views, you know, and as they're showing violent protesters burning cities down, and toppling police cars and equating this like Jesus was the same kind of influencer. But if you wrap it all up at the end and remind people, Jesus was canceled too. Oh, yeah. See, Jesus, you know, and so they bring you back into the, to Jesus. So they're, they're very, very clever. Very, very clever. Um, one of them shows a series of angry faces on both political spectrums, pictures of well-known scenes that we're familiar with on both sides. And, you know, and again, at the end, it says, Jesus loves people we hate. But see what they're doing with the word love is they, they package that into the idea of Jesus forgives all these people that we just showed pictures of. Um, and that we hate. Who said we hate them? Um, again, that's the social justice warrior lingo that creeps into these commercials, infiltrated through all these commercials are, again, those talking points, uh, identity, acceptance, safety, tolerate, bigotry, hate, affirm, inclusive, alienate, love is misused over and over and over again. All this is, is word, worldly wisdom trying to be clever, trying to bring us into this utopian state of mind. But it has nothing to do with Jesus, not really, other than he's just a, a, a brand. But see, Jesus does get us. And what he gets is that we are sinners who need the truth. And it starts there. It starts with, you're not good. I'm not good. We are sinful. We desperately need the blood of Christ. And so the second point we see that he gets this is Jesus gives special instructions. He gave special instructions. Verse five. For Moses writes, the man who practices. Uh, oops, I'm in Romans. Let me go back to Matthew. Matthew 10, verse five. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, do not go the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, 
again, one of the things that the, the, the modern progressives want to do is they'll look at a passage like this, and this is what they see. They see that Jesus is somehow some kind of racist against Gentiles and Samaritans. That's not the point of this passage. Jesus is putting the, the disciples on a specific missionary course, and, and for this missionary course, it, he's not going to the Gentiles. He's not going to the Samaritans. He, he's seeking out the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's going to the Jews. It'd be like me saying, uh, I'm, on, I'm going to on a, on a four-year mission trip to India. On the way, I'm going to stop in Argentina. I'm going to stop in South Africa. And then I'll head to, to India. And my instructions are, hey, you don't have time to... Your, your mission isn't Argentina. It's not South Africa. Make sure you get to India on time. You, you've got a program, right? It's not saying you don't care about Argentinians and South Africans. And so the goal then, verse 7, is, look, here's, here's our goal. You're going to preach to these lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, the, here's, here's stay on, on point. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So to the Jews who had a head start and a biblical understanding of what's going on, he's sending his special uh, uh, disciples, his preachers, to go to them first because they should get it. They should know you were waiting for the Messiah. Okay, he came. That was Jesus. The kingdom of God that we've been talking about all throughout the Old Testament, it's here, it's now, let's go. Okay, so, so what he's doing is it's, it's the low-hanging fruit. Okay, these are the, the first group of people who should get it the fastest, the quickest. Okay, it's, it's not an anti-Gentile thing. It's just, it's timing. It's, it's, it's not yet. This isn't your mission. Okay, and the ultimate goal, again, is not politically driven. It's spiritually driven. The kingdom of hand. That's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about spiritual issues, not political ones. We see in verse 8 then that the use of miracles, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons, freely you, you received, freely give. And so the disciples are given a special and unique blessing here. We, we don't see it like this ever again in scripture where it's unleashed like this. We, we, we see different revealings of the Holy Spirit. And we see that through Acts and we see that throughout the New Testament, but not in this way. This is like carte blanche. And, and so what's happening? Again, they're, they're affirming, they're, they're, they're showing, they're proving and authenticating that we're from God. This is the real deal. So that there's no questions. And so in doing that, not only are they helping people, but they're also validating who's sending them. Verse 9. This is interesting. Don't acquire gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. Why would that need to be said here? Could you imagine these guys going into town and, and, and raising grandma from the dead? Uh, you might be a little grateful, right? You might want to give that guy something, right? And, and you have leprosy. Now you don't. Well, you could see how the mob would come and, and, and if not give it as a thank you after, give it as a here, take this 
and heal me, heal my daughter, heal my son, right? And you could see how that person who's doing it's like, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I need new leather sandals too. Well, they don't do it. And, and Jesus is warning them, look, don't take the gold, the silver, the copper for your money belts. Don't accumulate wealth. Yes, verse 10, for the, the worker is worthy of his support. You can feed the guy. You can support him, but don't make him wealthy. The, the point of the ministry should have nothing to do with wealth and accumulation. Not from the receiver's part, being the people receiving the, the mercy mission, and not from the, the evangelist part. And again, that's one of the things that we see just constantly as the gospel is used to be merchandised. It's a product. And, and look, I, I, I can name names, and, and the irony is the, the names correspond usually with false preaching and also corresponds with a lot of money. Surprise, surprise. Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, Cruffalo Dollar, T. Day Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Beth Moore. These are the kings and queens of marketing and, and, and false doctrine and heresy and deception. They have no problem acquiring gold and wealth. Why? They're, they're supposed to be just preaching the gospel and helping people. Um, that's what instruction Jesus gave to his disciples when they were evangelists. Well, the third point is Jesus explains that there's going to be suffering. Verse 17. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall and you even be brought before governors and kings politicians for my sake as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. But when you're delivered up, do not become anxious about how you will speak for it shall be given you in an hour what you are to speak. For it is not you who speak, but is the spirit of your father who speaks and brother will deliver up brother to death and his father and his father, his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all on account of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in the city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now this is interesting. When we talk about the pattern of evangelism, when we talk about a, a, a campaign for reaching people with the gospel, when we see in today's day and age a campaign like he gets us we don't even know the people who are like really supporting this we know a couple of them but they're in the back right they're just gonna you just pop up this drive-by commercial put it out there and then it's like there's nobody there to like take the heat for it right because believe me there's a lot of people that are angry about these commercials they just see the word jesus and so they don't like jesus during the super bowl okay they don't like Jesus in, in their commercials. So they're not being critical of these commercials. All they know is the Jesus freaks are trying to promote Jesus and we don't like it. Okay? But a bigger picture here is, look, there's probably going to be suffering when you go and disciple, evangelize, and, and, and teach people to follow and obey the commandments. 
There's going to be suffering. It's going to be hard when you do that. But see, a campaign like he gets us completely avoids that. While Jesus is saying, no, this is, this is part of the deal. Why? Because it's personal. Because you have boots on, on the ground. You're there. It's not from a distance. It's not from a podcast. It's not from a book. We're, we're supposed to be involved in this process in one-on-one -on -one with the people of the body of Christ. That's why we're all part of the evangelistic movement. This is not just to sit back and watch others do it. We're supposed to be involved in evangelism. And that's why, hey, when you get involved in evangelism, evangelism, guess what? You need to be aware because they might deliver you to the local government. Those Christians are going to church during COVID. It happened. I know a guy from our seminary who got turned in just like the neighbors turned in the Jews. And he got turned in and was spent time in prison. Men will deliver you to the politics, deliver you to the police. Um, and when you get delivered up, though, don't be anxious. Why? That's kind of scary, isn't it? Well, it shall be given you that hour. What? What to say? Remember Jesus when he left? What did he say he was going to leave us with? A helper. A helper for what? To convict us of our sin. To bring remembrance of the scripture. To, to, to help keep us accountable. Also, there may be a day and a time where, you know what? Uh, you're being confronted by people because you're just preaching the gospel. And verse 20 says, don't worry about that day. But it is the spirit of your father who will speak in you and through you. Why? Because the power comes from the Holy Spirit. Not from you, not from your cleverness or your trickiness or how many Bible verses you can quote. God has the power. God has the power unto salvation. Allow the Holy Spirit to emanate through you. Even your family will turn on you. I mean, this is strong language. Verse 21, brother will deliver up brother to death. Death. We've seen this happen throughout the world. You're going to be hated. If you actually truly evangelize and tell people about Jesus, they don't like it. And I venture to say all of us have experienced to some level, which is why then we pull back. You know what? I had a bad experience. I, I don't like that. So I'm going to not get involved anymore. No, no, we're, we're supposed to get involved, and this is what it is going to look like. But one of the things that we can be reminded of, look, some plant, some water, it's God who causes the growth. Verse 22, uh, and you will be hated by all on, my, on, my, on account of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will, who will be saved. So just, just keep enduring. Just keep planting the seed. You will be saved and others will be saved too. It's okay. Now the disciples here in verse 23 uh, were told, look, when, you, when you're persecuted, fine. If they don't want it, then go to the next city. And you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So, so just keep going. Go to the next person. If you're rejected, go to the next neighbor. Go to the next family member. But, but don't think that there's not going to be 
suffering. The fourth point we see is Jesus actually requires fear. Verse 24, and that sounds strange, right? What do you mean requires fear? Um, don't ever forget that the, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7. Wisdom and fear correspond. Why? Because it's the true awe. It's the true understanding of who the God of the universe is in his power, in his authority, and, and who you are as the sinner who rebels against him. Right? That, that's why there's, there's the element of fear. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he becomes as his teacher and the slave as his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim it upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to cure, kill the soul, but rather fear who, him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who, who are you afraid of in presenting the gospel? That person? What they're going to think of you? What they're going to say? The law, the authorities. I mean, why are you afraid? Why are you holding back from being evangelistic? Well, because you fear people. You fear man. But you're supposed to fear God. You're supposed to fear the one who can kill your soul. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind when you're holding back. First of all, you're holding back a, a, a treasure and a, and, and a gift for that person. They're dying and going to hell. You're trying to save their life. It'd be like, you know, someone going down the river and you're looking at them and you got all the life preserves and everything and you go, eh, I don't know, his mom and dad might think I'm a weirdo for saving him. I mean, you would never think that, right? It's like you do everything you can to save that guy. The problem is, is these people, I mean, they'll, they'll take you down with them, right? That's what happens with most drownings. You know, most drownings, a person drowning actually is the one who makes it. And the person who tries to save them is, is the one who drowns because the person drowning flails and pulls them down. And then the other person dies. Um, sheep will lead sheep astray. That, that's a normal thing. And so, look, we're, we're not called to fear. We're called to proclaim from the housetops, to shout from the housetops. But why don't, we don't, why don't we do that? Because we're afraid of man. We're, we're, we're afraid of what, what they'll think. No. We're, we're, we're afraid of, you know, look, the... the that this, this group in here, it says they have been called the head of the house of Beelzebub. Beelzebub is, is the Philistine deity associated with, with Satan himself. The, the Lord of Flies. And it's like, um, look, you, you're, you're following the wrong people. You're like going around in circles with your friends and your neighbors. And you're, you're, you're letting the, the dog wag the tail. Who's your teacher? Who's your master? Who are you following? 
You're, you're allowing these people to be your master. If you're in silence, well, that's, that's your master, right? You're not saying anything because you're afraid of what your family member or neighbor thinks, so you're allowing them to be your master. And really, the head of the house is Satan. Look, Jesus gets it. We're the ones who don't get it. We're the ones that are like timid and, 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 and lost. So we need to fear the Lord. We need to honor, honor, you know, the Lord says, I will honor those who honor me, 1 Samuel 2, 3. We're, we're, we're called to, to look for the approval of God, not men. Well, finally, we see Jesus outlines again, look, th- there's going to be trouble. This is why a whole commercial marketing scheme that everything's kind of like hunky-dory and cool and it's, it's like th- this is just antithetical to what the real gospel teaches us. The real gospel teaches us that there's going to be pain and suffering and, and trial and family members against us. And you know what? There's, there, there's going to be trouble. Um, verse 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my father. So that's the goal, right? We, we want Jesus confessing us before his Father in heaven. That's what our goal should be. That's what our aim is. But whoever shall deny me before men, deny me, how do we deny? Again, I don't know that we're walking around going, I deny Christ. But when you don't speak up, when, when you don't say what's right, well, you're, you're denying Christ. I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Do you not think, now here's what's interesting. Because again, these, these commercials and the progressive way is a, look, progressive Christianity is like, we're all about peacemaking. Peacemaking. Very deceptive word, right? The difference between a peacemaker and peacemaking. A peacemaker steps in the middle of the war, steps in the, of the battle and makes peace between two warring people, right? Peacemaking is just some guy saying, I don't want to get involved. I, I, I don't, I don't want to say anything. I'll, I'll appease the conversation. Why? Not to create problems. So in personal relationships, we, we, we're self-deceived and thinking, well, we're peacemaking by not fighting and arguing. Well, you haven't resolved anything. You've just appeased the sin or the conversation. Well, don't think. And so here's Jesus kind of clarifying that. Don't think that I came to bring peace, which is an interesting word in, in, the, in the scriptures. Peace associated in the Old Testament is shalom, which is rest. There's nothing like more important than an Old Testament Jew than this concept of shalom and rest. It's like everything is going so well. And I'm in communion with God, with Yahweh, that we're in this shalom, we're in this rest. We would say heaven, right? Reigning with God in heaven. So, so the idea here is Jesus says, look, I didn't come to bring that to earth. I, I, I didn't come to bring peace. I didn't come for the social justice, you know, peacemaking to where we all just don't say anything. So we go along to get along, but a sword. What do you mean a sword? For I came to set out man against his father and a daughter against her mother. How's this for an evangelism campaign? Here's our goal. We're going to have a little evangelism meeting, right? 
Okay, here's our goal, guys. To set out father against father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his household. Well, what is going on here? Look, it's not that that is the end result goal. It's that this is what is going to happen. When you draw a line in the sand, following your master, God, versus the world, that draws a line. People will hate you for that. Your family will hate you for that. When you draw a line in the sand, say, I'm going to follow the word of God. The word of God has standards. The word of God says you can't do these things. People will hate you for that. So, so that's what's taking place here. And Jesus knows that, look, when you choose to follow me, by definition, the world will hate you. Why? Because they hate me. The world includes family, friends, and loved ones. And so, kind of a little test for his disciples, knowing, well, where are you? Where do you stand? Whose side are you on? Verse 37, he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So, we see right away, look, you have to love the Jesus Christ more than anything, anybody. And that's a hard thing. I struggled with that for many years. How am I supposed to love Jesus more than my dad. That, that's, that's weird. That kept me from Jesus. That kept me from following the Lord because I was worshiping a man. Verse 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. We're called, Matthew 16, 24, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, not ourself. Another test for inclusion is he who has found his life shall lose it. And who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. We're to give up everything. Look, look if, if, if I have a son or a daughter and I, and I need to tell them about Jesus, but, but this may create tension in our relationship. Well, you know what? That, that, that's the cross that I'll have to bear because his soul is too important to me. For he who receives you and receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Again, it goes back to if you know Jesus, you know the Father. If you don't know the right Jesus, you don't know the Father. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of disciple gives to the one of these little children even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, shall he shall not lose his reward. Again, kind of that calling back to, you know, your faith and works. Don't just say you care about poor people, people in need. If you see a child and needs some water, give them a couple, even if it's only a cup of water, do something. So the idea here is that Jesus outlines it, promising us that there's going to be trouble is look, there has to be a total commitment. There has to be a total commitment on your part to follow Jesus. Our unity doesn't come with the social gospel. It doesn't come with the political agenda. That, that's not where our unity comes from. Our unity comes from the word of God by keeping Christ in the center of our lives. And so real quick to close. Here are just some of my concerns, which are not just specific to this, but universal and can be applied to, to many things. But my concerns with this, look, there's a, an exclusive focus in these commercials on Jesus's humanity. 
they, they, it's too much of an emphasis that Jesus is a human. He was a human. He was also the son of God. He's also the Lord and the judge of the universe. The other, my second concern is Jesus is portrayed just as a social justice warrior. The, the feminism, the socialism, the, the political activism, that's not biblical. Displayed in these commercials while they're clever, there's no atonement. There's no concept of a justification for righteousness, for the forgiveness of sin. It's, it's a half gospel at, vet, at best. My fourth concern is the, the whole agenda is to just rebrand Jesus as like an a, a inspirational, motivational you know, brand. My fifth concern is there's no, no sign anywhere in these commercials of the need to repent or flee from hell, or the process of sanctification. These are all biblical terms that should come somewhere. My sixth concern is this is the ultimate and the seeker-sensitive movement. Jesus is just cool. He's cool. You should be on his team. No, there's more to that. Remember, we all like the muscles, right? We, we like the tan body, the big bulging muscles. What we don't like is the hours and hours and hours of sweat and and toil, the pain that creates the muscle. My seventh concern is they're just turning Jesus into a brand. Jesus is just, you know, Jesus. Go Jesus. Jesus is not a brand. He's not a brand. <clears throat> My eighth concern is there's just this continual need and desire that all denominations come together and I understand we don't want anybody to die and go to hell we don't want people to be unsaved but it's just a, a lie that there's no criteria there's a criteria and so all roads do not lead to heaven my ninth concern is there's just this e either there's there's just not Wisdom behind these commercials, movies, you know, songs. Um, at best, there's just not wisdom, but at worst, they're just plain ashamed of the gospel. They're ashamed of the truth. They fear man and not Jesus. And then finally, we have to question who's behind the campaign? What is really driving progressive Christianity? What's really driving, you know, the, these commercials? Who's talking? But on a good note, we can take these conversations. Hey, did you see the He Gets Us commercial? Somebody says, I love the He Gets Us commercial. I love this movie. I Really, tell me why. At least it, it can inspire a real conversation, a, a biblical conversation, a, a conversation that leads to a true gospel. So keep that in mind. We can still have good conversations that catapult from very misguided movements. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for...